And welcome to the first of a double bill within the Meltzer Five Star Project, where we'll be covering two matches to come from one event. I'm your co-host, Lorcan Mullen. I'm also the sucker that bought tickets to the event from this promotion the week before, assuming that because it was their big show in a stadium, they'd want to have the best possible matches there. But au contraire, said Tony Khan. And I'm with, as always, my other, let me tell you something, co-host and fellow sucker. Simon Cross. You sound like one of those uh, United fans that blame the Glazers for what's happening on the pitch right now. Never, ever compare me to the Glazers, son. <laughs> or Man United fans. Or anything to do with that. <laughs> shit stain of a sporting institution. Clearly, I've unearthed something here, and I apologise. <laughs> and that Vidic foul still lingers in the mind. Mm. Anyway, so yeah, as I said, this is the first of two matches from one show to get five stars. I, I think we're still yet to get an event that had more than two five-star matches on the night. I think the, there have been Wrestle Kingdoms that have had more than two, but they've been over two days. Yeah. But it, it's still a double bill. And Simon, what is the first half of that double bill we'll be discussing in this episode? Well, we're watching a match at AEW All Out out being better than in according to the ratings and we're watching a strap match between absolute ricky starks and see it no no not him not after all in it's brian danielson the absolute ace of a substitute yeah i'll tell you what when you had that substitute teacher that would come into the classroom and everyone went hey you're doing it unironically if it's brian danielson aren't you Yep. And it's not because you're going to get to doss off, because Brian Danielson is a man that never dosses off. He's a man that will have a five-star match in the eyes of Dave Meltzer with a still-recovering broken arm. <laughs> I mean, despite everything that Tony Khan's had to put up with, with certain talent, it's nice to know you've got people like John Moxley and Brian Danielson who will just like step up to the plate consistently. And bail you out. (laughs) Well, within a a certain time limit now, we've been told with Danielson, uh, he announced soon after that this is probably going to be the last year. I don't know if that means as in like the next 12 months or 2024 will be the last calendar year or whatever, that he will be a regular full-time performer, assuming his body can hold up that long. Yeah. But I thought that's one of the things I wanted to bring up in this. I thought that this was... uh, what was fascinating about this match, I think, because I don't think there's a decent chance that we'll be back here in a couple of weeks' time talking about another match, as to, of time of recording, will be in the future, where Danielson will be facing off against Zack Sabre Jr. Yes. And you assume that will be a technical wrestling masterpiece, potentially. That's what everyone's expecting. Literally, the Best Technician Award in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Awards was named the Brian Danielson after he won it so many times. <laughs> but since then, it's pretty much always been won by Zack Sabre Jr. Even when Brian Danielson's been back. 
And we, we were very close to getting it at uh, Forbidden Door 1 until injury got in the way there. But my point was going to be that that will be hopefully technical wizard Brian Danielson. But here we're getting wild, brawling, bleeding Brian Danielson. Also, I wanted to couple that point with the fact that the Danielson we're seeing in this match is obviously an older, more battered. In this case, as we've said, still nursing an injury, probably shouldn't be cleared to wrestle. Yeah. And that he's doing it as a favour. If CM Punk hadn't walked out the week before, Danielson probably would not be wrestling at this point. But we are where we are. And what I thought was curious about this was watching it, trying to figure out how does he work through the broken arm. And he has a big cast on his forearm for the whole match. And I was looking at it, and it's always that thing of like how much with with Danielson and wrestlers in general, when we know they're walking in her, how much do they play it up? How much do they work around it? Or how much do they just embrace it? And like, look, if everyone knows my arm's fucked, it'd be dumb for my opponent not to target it. Yeah. I think before this, the most famous example of that with Danielson would be the fact that he went into a Ring of Honor World title match against Kenta with everyone knowing that his shoulder was fucked from a match he'd had a couple of weeks earlier with Colt Cabana. Mm. And throughout the match, they're factoring in that shoulder issue and it is played up in the match. You don't get that in this match, which was interesting. But what was also interesting was trying to see how he worked around it. And again, in what ways did he play up to it? So they didn't do it that Ricky Starks targeted the arm. And in fairness, in a strap match, it's never really about targeting a limb or anything. It's just about beating the shit out of someone. Wailing on each other with leather belts, basically. Yeah. And also just little things like when you saw him making the entrance and he was like fist bumping people in the crowd, he was making a point to not use the other arm. Yeah. And I just tried to count it up. At what points did he take major bumps in this match where his arm could have been in peril? And there were really only two. And funnily enough, they were both him performing a move one was his charging drop kick into the corner yeah and i noticed that the way that he caught his arm in the ropes to balance it he didn't like sort of just full full force down to the mats and the other one was the dive to the outside that he did uh towards the end of the match after ricky steamboat had got involved and uh pulled big bill off the apron and It made me realise that it's one of the reasons why when we're going to soon in the future talk about Terry Funk for a whole episode of Match of the Week. And one of the things about Funk was how long he was able to sustain a wrestling career into his 50s and 60s. And what made it even crazier to us was the, by perception, more dangerous matches he was having. The wild brawls, the weapons, the barbed wire. Yeah. But what's funny about that when you look at it is that those things, like... Having your face all busted open, bleeding, and doing these weapon shots are actually, depending on how you work it, superficial bumps that are more perceptibly violent and gruesome and you think you can't cope from it. Mm. But Abdullah the Butcher was going around carving his head open into his 60s. (laughs) Wow, yes, and ended up with scars so deep he could put coins in them. Yeah. It's the matches where you're suplexing the shit out of each other. It's not Terry Funk that ended up in the wheelchair because of what he did in the ring, necessarily. It was Dynamite Kid. Yeah, and, you you know, you look at the most famous example, Misawa. Like, you look at Misawa's style and how that led to his ultimate demise. King's Road was not, like, 
was nasty in terms of like long health as a style you're right you are right and there have been times where um i think danielson in his younger days has fallen into the trap of like you know hitting each other with everything you've got the there's certain matches against nigel mcginnis which look like nasty and well you know nigel mcginnis isn't wrestling anymore partly because of that he's cleverer now I don't know that it's he's cleverer. He's using his cleverness more. That would be fairer to say, I think, in terms of like wrestling healthier. I think that he's shown in a situation where he needs to do it for the sake of what he did before is the case with this. This is us seeing Danielson working within his physical parameters. So it's not necessarily that he's working clever as it is, as he's working within the confines of the situation he's in. But utilizing the gimmick of this match to allow him to still put on a hell of a show because as explicitly gruesome as those whippings of the strap can sound and as gruesome a blade job as you can do to yourself although Danielson's one that he does to himself isn't you know it's not a 1.0 mooter or anything but it's still it's blood (laughs) that's not gonna mess Danielson up 20 years down the line like multiple suplex bumps he's done before throughout the years or or he would or he would have done as you say in those Nigel McGuinness matches where he'll do dives to the outside and massive bumps and suplexes and superplexes and everything else see that's a generational shout right there with the blood going Muta one when I think of like gratuitous unnecessary blood I'm Randy Orton New Year's Revolution all day long (laughs) Really? Ahead of ahead of Eddie Guerrero, Judgment Day? Eddie Guerrero's well, Eddie Guerrero's did hospitalise him, so that is a, another great example. I was not sure with the way that they went with the whole Ricky Starks feud with CM Punk, that he was ultimately turned heel, not because Starks needed it, not because he was losing the crowd, but for the narrative of the story that fits CM Punk, I thought. Yeah. I'm not even saying it was necessarily Punk trying to screw him over, just that it was the nature of the beast that Punk wanted to continue working as the babyface, and he put Starks over, but it was a Starks grabbing the ropes, and then Punk got his revenge win, and you would assume would have got the win again in the strap match if the quote-unquote real-world title was on the line. Oh, yeah. So now we're in a situation where Starks is in a heel turn that he didn't really need. You know, remember how hot he was after just that one promo against MJF after he won the Battle Royal. Yeah. And... He comes out of this match as the loser of the feud. Mm. But I think what Danielson did throughout this whole match was try to get Starks as over as possible in defeat. So it was a curious example of Starks starts off the match by doing the typical heel thing of attacking before the bell, bloodying Danielson, doing it all without him being stuck to the strap so he's able to keep distance and take advantage of the strapped up Danielson. Yeah. And obviously also trying to intimidate Ricky Steamboat along the way, and having the traditional big guy heater in Big Bill. Yeah. Um, So they're doing all of the things for him, but what I thought was the two things that were important to this match, one of the things that everyone was just in awe of the beating that Danielson gave him, the sound of those strap hits, and the look of it, the redness of his flesh. And the whole point of the match, I think, really was meant to be Stark showing that wherewithal in the mold of like but not to the point that they do a double turn of like Steve Austin fighting through right till the end in the submission match of WrestleMania 13 
it wasn't it didn't reach those heights mm. and the intention wasn't to turn Ricky Starks babyface but it was like let's make the best of the situation where we've got to get this guy more over in defeats and obviously because Danielson will be happy to lose to anyone really so even when Danielson's winning it's like how can I get this guy over as much as possible yeah and to me it was the fact that towards the end part of the match they were doing a bit where they were standing toe-to-toe trading whips in the middle of the ring and Ricky Starks won that exchange and took Danielson down to his knees I thought that was a fascinating touch and he doesn't submit at the end he passes out yeah it well you know I'm thinking of the time before this like you say semi crowbarred heel turn that that we've had for Ricky Starks where he was a heel where he's a member of team Taz and you know, Taz is very much, you know, you know, FTW, like, be, you know, you've got to be hard to be a member of Team Taz. Starks and Wonderlays has never really been a cowardly heel in AEW. Uh, I, he's very easy to present as that. I mean, his whole thing is the preening, metrosexual, uh, that's a very naughty's way of putting it. <laughs> But he's not effeminate, but he's somewhere in between. You know, the way that he, he pose, like the dance pose or something, is something you could have seen in Studio 54 back in the 70s. Yeah, I don't get that vibe from him. I just get, like, cool guy vibe. I don't see what's more cowardly than challenging a 70-year-old man to a fight. <laughs> Even if that 70-year-old man is Ricky Steamboat. Oh, well, I was going to say, yeah. No, I I, I take your point, but it was more the fact that he feels that Steamboat had wronged him. It's not like he's picking on him for no reason. You're right in that it's, you know, you are trying to attack and assault a pensioner. But you are trying to do it legally by getting a match signed. And you do have a grievance against the pensioner. When he finds out that it's Danielson that he's facing, he doesn't, like, shut himself or anything. He's just like, oh, for fuck's sake basically it's like it's like finding out you've drawn man city in the fourth round of the fa cup (laughs) uh well yeah instead of gate receipts though you just get receipts in the ring from the belt now i can't remember the exact wording of the line but it's like okay i've made my bed and i'll I'll cope with it basically is his response and cope with it he does until the bitter end really yeah it's fairly simplistic storytelling and it's not like babyface shine or anything it is just Starks beats up Danielson for quite a while. Then Danielson beats up Starks for quite a while. Then they're both in great amounts of pain and just brutalise each other until Danielson chokes him out. Yeah. One of the smart things I did with this was not try to incorporate any kind of touching the corners four times or other rules that strap matches have been in the past. Oh, I hate that. That's more a Texas ball ropey thing. Yeah, but they have done that for strap matches. But yeah, no, I, 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 I really don't like that style of match. That's up there with tables matches for me. And li- long-time listeners will know how much I despise tables matches. If it hadn't been a strap match, maybe, well, would they have wanted to do the dog collar chain match with him and Punk, or would they want to save that as just it's a special one-off? Because, you know, it is basically the same principle. I don't think you can really go to that well, yeah, that quickly in a CM Punk feud in AEW. And the strap worked because it made such a satisfying sound, whereas when you do with the chain, it's a little bit harder to yeah make it resonate or be as maybe as easily recognisable. You know, hearing that chain clatter is not as satisfying as just this loud, welting sound. Mm. The whipping sound of it. And the audience is, like, audibly... I don't know if horrified is the right word, but they are definitely... Wincing. It, it makes you wince throughout. Yeah. With the CM Punk AW dog collar match, there was that sense of symmetry and sort of closure. He was 
to MJF what Raven was to him. There was a rich story, even beyond the feud itself with that one. I mean, there's no great lineage with strap matches in this promotion, or any promotion really since, but it is another one of those old wrestling things from the South. Sometimes they'd be called country whipping matches, and that fit into the way that Danielson worked that. I I thought this was a very, very, very fun match, and I think it was essentially just how hard they hit each other, because, like you say, they didn't have much of an emotional arc for us to get into them, so it's just like, Mm. this is what Danielson likes to do. He likes to get into fights, and it's like that great moment in the MJF Iron Man match where... They're where they're leaning on each other. You see that MJF's face is full of pain and exhaustion, and Danielson's just got a shit-eating grin on him. It's, <laughs> it's like, I love this! <laughs> yeah, this is just Blackpool Combat Club Danielson. It's like, oh, next month I fancy having a technical match with Zack Sabre Jr., but right now I just feel like beating the piss out of someone. <laughs> and you'll do. For me, I would be in the range of four and a half probably maybe four and three quarters the more i reflect on it the more i think a is the mark for this match given by Meltzer in part because of the arm and what they did at work around it and b the other recent example we have of that cody rhodes versus seth rollins is that a better example of what we've just seen no i wouldn't say so because cody rhodes was genuinely about to go onto the shelf Whereas Danielson was just coming off the shelf a few weeks early. Okay. And Danielson didn't factor in his injury into the story like Cody did with that match with Rollins. True. Yeah, I, no, well, I'm just thinking because obviously, like, I remember someone on the Pat McAfee show at that time was like, well, yeah, that's as worse as it's, once you've torn it, you've torn it. That's as bad as it's going to be. So, like. Yeah, but it's it's a recognizable issue that they play up in the match when he takes off his jacket, reveals the bruising, and Rollins just does his big cackle this match i don't think they even mention the cast that danielson's wearing doesn't mcginnis call him brittle brian like several times in the match who knows what that might be setting up in the future he wants that so badly (laughs) doesn't mcginnis he wants that more than he wants anything else in the world i think this match might gain stature if a year from now ricky starks is one of the top main event talents that he's always really had the promise of being Basically, ever since he signed with AEW, because everyone that saw him on NWA was like, well, this guy's great promo, got a good look. He's not that big, but it's not as big a problem in AEW. And whilst, as you say, he was in Team Taz, and he was always like a mid-card act, and he didn't really get a lot of wins, I kind of saw him in the position there that Swerve Strickland's been in recent months as well, where he's been around the main event scene, allowed to talk, but has always come up short. Yeah. But they're putting him in that environment, I suppose, as a way to not even test him, but just get the crowd used to him. And then I like I imagine Swerve Strickland's getting at least one big win over Hangman Page in the storyline that they're having at the time of recording. Yeah. I don't think he's going to lose all their matches against each other by any stretch, no. But again, it's one of those things where you still book it that the babyface goes over, then you got a problem on your hands if the other person's the one that's supposed to be the star for the future, and that is one of the key things AEW's going to have to do throughout uh, 2024, because Punk is gone. Mm. Danielson's saying there's a year left with him. Omega's in his coming into his 40s, so are the Young Bucks, and so on and so forth. And we'll save it for a future episode, but AEW's business, at least on the live ticket front, is starting to dwindle. And if you want to keep drawing people in, you need to create people to get them to come. 
when in three years' time you won't have Danielson on the card, you don't have Punk on the card, you may not even have Moxley on the card anymore. And even if you do have Moxley on the card, he's not a draw in Cincinnati the same way that Punk is a draw in Chicago. Yeah. So yeah. in a year's time, maybe this will become like Ricky Starks' trademark match in the future, that he'll, as a babyface, get his revenge win on someone else in a strap match. Who knows? Potentially. Starks is on my, like, bane of your existence, the armchair booker's list of, like, uh, people I want to see as AEW world champion. I think he's got the tools. He does need that moment, and this hopefully will be it. It's just what they do with it after. Maybe he gets, like, another crowning moment where he does defeat Brian down the line. Maybe. Assumingly, after they've got this uh, Sabre Jr. thing out of the way, there is one more major AEW pay-per-view this year as well. I, he could get his win over da- uh, Danielson then. That's his crowning moment. And then, boom. doesn't necessarily have to be over Danielson because, you know, MJF is, by the looks of it, never going to get that revenge win over CM Punk. Although, obviously, technically, in their record against each other, he's 2-1. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? A lot of the time, people always say, oh, someone needs to pass the torch. Well, Austin, no one passed the torch to Austin by losing to him except for Shawn Michaels. And that was very reluctantly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I suppose you could argue what The Undertaker at SummerSlam 98, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. No one, you know, The Rock didn't need a major win clean as a whistle in order to become the big star that he was. No. I'm, I, I'm not suggesting he should beat Danielson cleanly anyway i don't think that would work if he's if he's going to stay in this heel mode i I wouldn't want him to beat him clean well these are all abstract things outside of the match itself i haven't said much because like i said it's such a simplistic match i'll beat you with the strap then you beat me with the strap then i'll beat you with the strap and you beat me with the strap and then someone loses enough oxygen to not be able to continue it's just like a regular friday night for me (laughs) well it depends what you're beating (laughs) knowing you lorcan there's always a strap involved in some description. Hey, you've you've said four and a half. Sorry. Yeah, four and a half. I would say. How about you? Yeah, it's not five. I'd probably go four, four and a half. It's very good. It's very clever, considering the circumstances. But and it's not a fault. This isn't a fault of them. But the missing like factor me is like there's not really like a lot of story to build around it. And that's not to say there would have been if CM Punk was Starks' opponent. There wouldn't have been much story behind it then. It's just, this is the best... It sounds really uh, savage to say because it is a really good match, but this feels like I'm doing it dirty. It's the best of a bad situation. Well, if the match involved CM Punk, then the amount of attention on Ricky Starks would have been minimal. Yeah. This was a match where you came out of it thinking about what Ricky Starks did and what Ricky Starks went through. That's true. And he's our debutante, actually. That's one thing we forgot to say. First time on this Meltzer list. Yes, he is a debutante, as you as you say. And and you're right, more for the fact that it's there was a bit more jeopardy because Danielson has lost matches to the likes of like Daniel Garcia and stuff. So I think what it also did was it gave an extra layer of toughness in the image of Ricky Starks that he went through with this. As he said, he said, I made my bed, I'm going to lie in it. Yeah. And whilst he did do an underhanded thing at the start by attacking Danielson, and when Danielson gave him the shit-kicking of a lifetime, he did come back. Like I said, I think the most telling moment for me in the whole match was that they had Starks come out on top in a toe-to-toe standoff after the beating that he'd taken with that whip before by Danielson. Yeah. That, to me, was the thing I took out. That was maybe my favourite moment in all of the whole match. And 
as I said, it's like I always love those matches, and usually it ends with the non-brawler or the person who's out of their depth winning. Uh, I've always said, like, Mick Foley was great for these. Triple H at Royal Rumble, Sting at WrestleWar 92, Edge at WrestleMania 22, was it? Randy Orton at Backlash 2004. Mm. And I think you can put this in that kind of category. And I suppose you could also argue, although it wasn't a violent match, Danielson did that with MJF in the Iron Man match as well this year. You know what, Simon? I think this Brian Danielson's a pretty good wrestler. (laughs) Controversial take. I mean... He doesn't have that many five-star matches to his name in the eyes of Meltzer. It took him coming to AEW for him to finally figure out what that missing link was for him. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, whatever it was that uh, mm. that that booking genius Tony Khan told him to do, <laughs> he, he finally did it. Yeah. I, I don't have anything left to say about this match. Shall we let people know what the next match is in our all-out double bill? Because it is with someone who Mouser very much does like to give five stars to. Although, is his opponent another debutante? I do believe he is a debutante. Mm. And who are these two people? We are looking at a match between Kenny Omega and Konosuke Takeshita, who is the aforementioned debutante, and the generational link is their time in DDT wrestling. It really isn't very fair to have Kenny Omega face off against a centaur, but <laughs> them's the breaks, I suppose. Wow. When you've beaten so many, like, humans in, like, big matches, you've got to move on to mythological creatures. And let's face it, Prime Vince McMahon would have signed... Oh, he did have a Minotaur. He had Mantar. So, you know, there's precedent. Minotaur? You bloody yank. That's Minotaur. (laughs) But until then, if Simon, if people want to get in touch with you with other mythical beasts from the Greek legends and how you pronounce them properly, how can they do so? They can get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm sending a Simon Cross free, free for the number of heads on Cerberus. My name's Lorcan Munn, and that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for the A at the start of Achilles. N for the N at the the end of Parthenon. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you put that gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtwisepod at gmail.com. LMTWisePod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. Her apron strings are trailing out like sparks. Come a tail is whipping, slicing up the dark. I'm her twin, I live in the other half. I'm tearing at the scene, but it never comes apart. Weave a chain to keep alive. It's all this noise that makes us thrive. Try to trap her in